everyone, and welcome back into the Sports Plus Podcast. I'm Corey Miller, here with Andy Moeller, Hanny Yates, and Frank Cusimano. We got a little bit of everything to talk about this week, but we'll start with the depressing stuff first to get it out of the way. The Avalanche, of course, swept the Blues out of the playoffs on Sunday for the team's second straight first-round exit in the playoffs. They just look outmatched the entire way. Hannah, uh, pretty much everybody said we'd rather see the Blues face the Avalanche than the Golden Knights. Don't really look so smart right now. What was the biggest reason when you're watching this for this just absolute bloodbath? I think it was multiple things, but I almost feel like Colorado could beat this Blues team in every essence of the game. So whether it's that even strength, which the Blues actually had the upper hand through those eight regular season games heading into the series, but they beat them at even strength. They can beat them on the power play. They can beat them even on the penalty kill in certain ways. I mean, they can beat them in every essence of the game. And I just don't think the Blues were healthy enough or their pieces weren't clicking. And really the thing that stuck out to me heading into game four was that if you looked at the Blues' top four paid forwards, they combined for one power play goal and one assist and were all at least a minus four or worse. And then you compared that to the top Colorado paid forwards, the four of them, they combined for 20 points and were all a plus four or better. So I think a big discrepancy there. And that was one of the biggest parts. I think we lost Frank. Hopefully we get him back at some point during the podcast. But Andy, I'll go to you here next. Jordan Biddington showed up, though. His team might not have. Uh, Obviously, you see the goals on the scoreboard, and you might think uh, Biddington didn't play so well. But watching the game, uh, he definitely proved that 2020 postseason was an aberration. And uh, he played out of his mind, at least least from my amateur goalie assessment watching. Uh, well, I offer the same sort of amateur opinion, but it looked like it looked like he was the he was the lone soldier holding down the fort. Um, you know, the the thing that struck me about the series is in two years, you know, the Blues went from this intense checking team with everything going right to looking like they're you know they're at the bus stop watching traffic pass by. They got slow in two years, and Colorado just speed past them. I mean, speed was the, the biggest difference in this series. No question about it. Andy, I'm going to stay with you. We look to the future. You just kind of mentioned that. They got slow in two years, two straight first-round exits. How concerning is that? Is that a trend yet there? And uh, what do you picture for the offseason? Well, what I, I picture that the Blues are going to have to do some retooling. I mean, you could tell, you know, at, at various times throughout the season – uh, and also, uh, you know, B- B- Craig Berube brought it up yesterday that, you know, it seemed like he was not able to to get the full effort out of the guys that out of certain guys that he wanted to. So um, I think there's going to be some house cleaning. Um, you know, I think the coach is going you know is going to be here to stay, and so they're going to certainly try to retool to get to you know get some guys in there that are going to respond to the coach a little bit more. And I also think that, uh, you know, the, that the, the edict will be, uh, and it's not an easy one, the, the edict will be to get bigger and faster um, because they want to be able to implement the coach's system. Um, and you can't do that if you're a pedestrian. You're going to have to get some guys with some wheels. I do know not to bet against Doug Armstrong. Hannah, if the Blues do just one thing this offseason – what do you want to see them do? Just one thing that, that would start uh, them on the path to end in this trend of first-round exits. Honestly, it's tough because there's a handful of things that need to be done. But I think the one thing that you have to do is switch something up defensively. I think you really have to add 
um, one of those big defensemen, someone who's physical. I mean, you look at the Blues 2019 Stanley Cup winning team, you have players like Jay Bo Mistrauts, Petrangelo, Joel Edmondson, uh, Colton Preco. They're all guys who are, what, 6'4 and up, and they just are those big body, heavy checking defensemen. And you really can't succeed in this league unless you have that. And I think it's a lot of just a smaller group and maybe more of that skill group, but you kind of saw the results of that when you pair guys like that together. That's a good point. Uh, let's uh, let's move on from the depressing blues talk. Talk some baseball. Uh, the weather's getting hot. People are starting to shift into Cardinals mode, and they've been impressive sometimes and depressing at other times. Coming off a series loss to the Cubs here, but it was a pretty fun series. Uh, Hannah, what did you take away most from this first first series against the Cubs in 2021? First time the two had played in St. Louis in 600 days. Well, I thought it was interesting in game one that the Cubs gave them a run for their money and you kind of just saw some deficiency with the bullpen coming out after that start. And then Saturday, it's just another, basically a tough blow to pitching. You lose Miles Michaelis from the rotation. And so you kind of just see that maybe the Cardinals have to go shopping um, for another starter and just some different things and ways that really the Cubs exposed this team in, in ways that I didn't think so, but also having a Yadier Molina step up to this team and save the day. I think there are a lot of um, pluses with some of the younger players who were called into place with the Cardinals as well. That game two is definitely a fun one. You mentioned, well, you mentioned Miles Michaelis uh, going back on the IL with another arm issue. I just saw in uh, Mike Shields pregame presser on, on Monday He's getting a second opinion with Dr. James Andrews, which is never really a good sign. That's not what you want to hear. So the Cardinals might be out there looking for another starter, not in the organization already to bolster that pitching staff. Hannah, you mentioned young guys uh, providing a spark a little bit. Andy, let's talk about Edmundo Sosa. He's filled in superbly for Paul DeYoung since uh, DeYoung went out. Sosa really starting regularly, starting on May 23rd. He's hitting since then. 526, he's got a triple, two doubles, OPS of 1.308. He's bringing a lot of energy, too. I like watching Edmundo Sosa play right now. I agree with you totally. He's got to, he's, he's, I don't know, I don't want to say he's figured it out, but he's, you know, he's, he's building on the initial success that he's had. And he's fun to watch. I especially like watching him in the field. He's, he's got a great glove. It's interesting how he's kind of evolved. He made the team out of spring training, but he was just supposed to be that glove to fill in for Paul DeYoung. And almost like a gun to their head, they would not give him an at-bat. It was pretty wild to see in the first couple of weeks, but now they've given him a chance and he's running He's running with it, which is fun to see with a young guy always uh, when that happens. Let's uh, look ahead to this White Sox series now. I'm excited for it. Uh, we, we still don't have Frank on here. We lost his connection. He had a bad connection. Uh, we're going to talk about Tony La Russa a lot this week. And this matchup with Tony and his return to the game, and he's definitely uh, grabbed some headlines here. Andy, what do you make of LaRusse's return to baseball so far in this series, facing the Cardinals for the first time in his career? Uh, well, he's uh, he's has not been lacking for, uh, or he has not been dull, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, it's interesting that tonight's starting pitcher, Lance Lynn, who, uh, you know, who started under LaRusse here in St. Louis, uh, was the latest to uh, to kind of get a little flack from Tony for uh, you know for his comments about the about the Mercedes uh, you know home run last week and uh, basically you know I've got an office he's got a locker I don't agree with him 
um you know uh, i guess uh guess that hall of fame ring gives you a little cachet so um you know it, it is interesting though that he was asked about the series yesterday coming off a three-game uh sweep that they had lost and he was in no mood to talk about it then um and you know i i i think he's probably holding a lot back i think there are going to be some emotions for him tonight what you know playing against the cardinals and uh, unless memory serves me correctly, um, the Cardinals are the one team that he's never beaten. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, could be could be a little history in the making unless the Cardinals pull off a sweep. Too bad the series isn't in St. Louis because uh, that would be fun for sure. This Monday they're facing Tony Larusa. Next Monday they're facing Los Angeles Dodger Alvin Pujols. So some interesting matches for the Cardinals. And on Tuesday, Hannah, we're getting the Jack Flaherty Lucas Giolito matchup where we were, we've been hoping to get old high school teammates meeting up in the big leagues. How much fun do you think that's going to be? I think it's going to be a great time. I've loved the back and forth interviews that we've seen just from different standpoints, national standpoint. I just think um, there's obviously some camaraderie there, but it's just fun. I mean, you go up and I think baseball is a fun sport when you're facing each other um, in that aspect. And I just think it's, it's two great pitchers. I, I love watching both of them. I love watching Jack Flaherty on the mound. I think it's been great this season. So I'm looking forward to it. Too bad. It's in the American league park and they don't get to step in there in the batter's box against the, each other, because, uh, you know, they'd be loving that. And Flaherty's probably got some good confidence going after he already took his buddy Austin <laughs> Gomber deep. I think he'd like to take his buddy Lucas Giolito deep too. Unfortunately, we won't get to see that, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun time on Tuesday with those two. All right, that is the horn, and with that, we come to our final buzzer question of the week. Phil Mickelson on Sunday became the oldest man to ever win a major with his PGA Championship win at age 50. So this week, our question is, who's your favorite old guy to ever play pro sports? We can go way back with this. Andy, I'm counting on you for – for a really good <laughs> a really good one from a little while back and 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 we can we can even talk about some of the the most more recent guys that that have been aging like fine wine but Andy who do you got who's your favorite old guy in sports I would say that uh, as far as for a single for a single weekend watching Jack Nicklaus at the 86 Masters uh was incredible uh I can remember sitting in the old sports office here in the building uh, with Art Holiday, uh, who was anchoring sports that day, uh, which kind of gives you an idea that it, it was a while ago. Um, but he, it was just incredible to watch him pick up, uh, pick up a little momentum. And back then, the Masters, you, didn't, you never got to see the front nine. They picked up their coverage with golfers on the, you know, maybe on the ninth hole, but Augusta National was not very, uh, not very kind to their, uh, you know, to their uh, broadcast partner then. Um, but you know, he, I think he birdied nine and that was really what kind of got him going and just to watch, you know, him go, uh, and, and finish up. And what people don't maybe don't remember is that Greg Norman had a chance to, uh, force a playoff on 18. Uh, so, you know, Nicholas, you know, holding out was not the end of the tournament. Nicholas had to wait. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Norman came up to 18 with a chance to tie and he hit his approach shot into the crowd um you know uh on the uh uh out on the side of the green uh, and there it was uh, pretty much cemented that uh, that nicholas had won it it was a really it was a really cool moment to see him do that 
That was the uh, that was the Vernon Lundquist yes sir call, wasn't it? it absolutely, it was. Yes, uh, yes sir. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It sent chills up my spine. I can remember that for sure. That's a good one, Hannah. Who's uh, your favorite old guy you've seen still uh, still kicking it in a in a, a professional sport at a at an advanced age? We'll call it. I was laughing thinking about this because I'm just waiting for Andy's response. Of, He's not old. And so I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking of a handful of people that gave me some time. I really do like Andy's pick. I think, I mean, it, that one's hard to beat. But I was trying to think outside the box of someone who's just really interesting and his whole career intrigues me. So Yarmir Yager was like a name that came to mind. And the <laughs> fact that he is now talking about coming back for his 34th professional season at 50 years old. So he's, he's been not playing. old. I know, I know, I know. But in hockey, I feel like we have to talk relatively based on the sport in these terms right now. And so the fact that he would come back, I think is super interesting. And he wants to do it in the National Hockey League. And if he would end his season here at 50 years old in the National Hockey League, I would just be blown away and I would love to watch that. And I think that he's, I mean, one of the best to play the game. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, that would be pretty wild. Uh, he's got to bring the hair back too if he uh, comes back in the NHL. <laughs> those, so, some of those hockey guys go on and it's crazy to think about because we've seen these guys up close. It's brutal on your body and guys like Chara and Thornton. And I can't believe they play as long as they have. And Gordy Howe was the the all-time king of that but yeah I can't believe those these guys play hockey as long as they do my guy is outside the box here a little bit uh, I'm gonna go with Julio Franco because here's a dude at 48 years old hit a home run in the major leagues which I think is awesome with the Mets in 2007 and every once in a while on social media you'll see a little clip of him how he's in his 60s now I think he's 62 but every once in a while, you see a clip on social media of him hitting in the cage down in like the Dominican or something. And he looks like he's still got it at 62 years old. He had a 23 year major league career and played for like every team you could think of. But uh, Julio Franco just just kept going. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's that's my guy for uh, old guys. We want to remember this week with with Phil at the ripe young age of, of 50 winning the PGA championship. And this week, we have a very special treat for our Spotlight interview, one of the best interviews in St. Louis sports history. Brett Hall joins Frank Cusimano on Sports Plus. Brett talks about the current Blues, some of his favorite and maybe not so favorite memories in St. Louis, and just about anything else you'd want to hear from Brett Hall. So we'll get into it here. Here's Frank and Brett Hall from Sports Plus. And it's our pleasure to welcome the greatest St. Louis Blue of them all, Brett Hall. And Brett, I understand life's pretty good for you right now. You got Brett Hall's Junction House Restaurant in Winsville, which is rocking. And then you get paid to play golf every day at Troubadour, an unbelievable course in Nashville. And you're drumming up some business too. Life's good. It is. Uh, you know, great weather. Get to play a great golf course with a lot of great people and uh, when I get up to St. Louis, we go to the Junction House and uh, have some great food and some uh, Code-to-Go cocktails. All right, let's get to some hockey conversation. You saw the game today. You probably watched some of the series. What are your impressions of the Blues? Well, you know, a couple of tough injuries. Uh, and then you had the, the, the COVID problem at the start. Uh, and then to, to top it off, you're playing probably the number one contender 
to win the Stanley Cup from what I've seen. That's, uh, uh, that's a buzzsaw they ran into with the, the skill, speed, and size uh, of the Colorado Avalanche. That's a very impressive team. But, uh, you know, the games were a lot closer than they looked. Uh, I, I thought the Blues played extremely hard. Um, you know, I thought they, they had a game plan. Uh, they stuck to it, but uh, you know, it's just when you, when you're playing a team that good, when you're down men, uh, it's tough. I want to ask you about Vladimir Tarasenko. He had five straight seasons of 30 or more goals. The last two years, because of injuries, just seven goals has a good day today. Do you believe he can be elite again? Well, no question. Uh, the, the skill level, the size, the speed, and when you shoot the puck as well as he does, there is no question about it. Uh, you know, if, if I was to say anything, I would, I would try to find uh, Vladdy a real top-tier playmaking centerman. Uh, and then you're not just looking at 30 goals. You're looking at 50 or 60. Uh, you see what Backstrom does for Ovechkin in Washington. So uh, th there's no question about it. Did you ever talk to him early in his career about developing the one-timer? I mean, his stats are unbelievable, but I think a lot of Blues fans wonder, why doesn't he have a one-timer? Yeah, I don't know. I, we've talked about it. It's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, his wrist shot is so wicked and he gets it away very quick. But if he could develop that extra piece in the arsenal, that one-timer, uh, you see Ovechkin. It, it, it's a game changer, not only for his statistics, but it really changes the game for the team, especially on the power play, because, you know, with the players they have, when you have to cheat on a guy like that who can shoot it so well, it opens up the, the areas for other players. And the Blues have plenty of great players who can put the puck in the net. One guy who does have a great one-timer is Mike Hoffman. It doesn't appear like he's going to stay another year because he doesn't appear to be a Craig Berube kind of player. But boy, Brett, he helped to turn around this season and they need goal scorers. What would you do with Hoffman? I don't know. That, that's, uh, you know, I got a lot of respect for Coach Berube and, uh, and he knows what kind of player that, that he wants. Um, you know, and going back to what you said, I, I don't know, watching, watching the series, I, I saw a lot of him out on the ice. So he's got to like him a little bit. So. Uh, you know, that's just the way it goes. If he goes to free agency again or, or Doug wants to sign him uh, either way, I'm really not that familiar with him, but he, he didn't look out of place to me out there. All right, so I think a lot of Blues fans are thinking it's two first-round knockouts in a row, and Avalanche and the Golden Knights are up here, and the Blues are a step below. What do you do if you're the Blues moving forward to get back to that elite level once again? Well, you watch, and I think it's, it goes without saying that if you're going to succeed in the league in today's game, you've got to be big and you've got to be fast. You've got to be skilled. Uh, we've got great coaches. They have a great game plan. But if you can put that game plan and implement it with big, fast, strong players, you're going to be uh, very successful. All right, speaking of coaches, let's go back in time and talk about some of the interesting coaches you played for. Brian Sutter. Now you score 41 and then Sutter takes over. What was that first meeting like after you had that breakout season? Well, you know, I, I went in, it was really my first full season and I get 41 goals. And uh, I, I'm thinking it's, you know, I'm going into this meeting with coach Sutter and 
I, I'm thinking it's going to be, oh, way to go. What a good year. God, you're so good. And, and uh, he sat me down and he basically berated me and told me um, what an underachiever I was. And in uh, not really a bad way, he was trying to make me understand the potential that I had and that there was so much more. And that was the greatness of Brian Sutter is that he, he could see uh, the potential. He could see what more you had to give and he was going to get it out of me. And I could have went out of there uh, with my tails between my legs and, and gone to the bar and had a beer and went, yeah, what a jerk he is. I thought I had a great year, but I looked and I said, you know what, if he thinks that much of me and he really believes that I can do that, then I'm going to go out and do it. And, and it really uh, motivated me to take my game to the next level. And I, I, I've appreciated that about Brian ever since then. You can't have any regrets at all with your career, but I want to take you back to 1991 when you had the 86 goals. But the problem was you didn't get any empty netters and you also never got a chance to kill penalties, which you proved to be pretty good under Mike Keenan. Do you ever think, boy, I could have broken Gretzky's record in 92? Well, no question. And I've, I've never asked Brian, uh, but I always wonder when we talk about it, uh, you know, with my friends and that is, did he even know, you know, how focused Brian Sutter was? I, I don't even know if he knew that I had a chance to break the record. And so, uh, you know, it, it's the way it is. And, and to be second on the list behind Wayne Gretzky isn't bad and 86 isn't bad either. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But there's always going to be that lingering question with me is because uh, I knew I could do it. It's just a matter of uh, why it didn't happen. What was it like in the middle of that when you were just starting to blow up and there were coloring books at McDonald's, yeah. there were literally ice skating rinks being built around the St. Louis area because of your stardom and kids wanting to be like you. Take me back to that era. Well, you know, it's one of those, I wish I knew then what I know now, uh, but it was so new uh, to me. I, I, I just kind of, it was kind of a blur and uh, I, I wish I could have absorbed it more. It's kind of when I won the, my first Stanley Cup with, with Dallas, uh, after it was all said and done, I go, I got to do this again so I can appreciate it because it, it happened so fast and you don't, you don't even have time to really relish in the fact that, hey, I just won a Stanley Cup. But unfortunately, I was able to do that. But, you know, it, it was a whirlwind. And uh, I don't know if I would have got through it without Susie Matthew, I can tell you that because she took me and and took me under her wing and just led me by the nose to everywhere I had to go and all the interviews with you and and the rest of the media in St. Louis and and commercials and whatnot. It, it was a whirlwind, but it it was a lot of fun as well. And the city was buzzing. It was you know, and obviously the the greatest, if not the best, sports fans you know in the country are in St. Louis, and it, it was fun. So many great Mike Keenan stories. Let's narrow it down to two. You warned Wayne Gretzky, don't come here. Well, yeah, I told him. I, I go, this guy's crazy, Wayne. You, you know, you're not going to enjoy yourself. And he's like, he's like, Brad, he'll change when I get here. He'll change. I go, no, he won't. And so I called him one last time before the trade. And I said, I'm giving you one more chance. I go, don't do this. And I'm like, you know, being a, a goal scorer like me, to, to say that about the greatest player uh, 
in the history of the world for a goal scorer to play with. Uh, he, he should have known I meant it because who else would I rather play with? What was the story about Keenan putting a heavy accent on fitness and you telling him that, look, fitness doesn't score goals? Yeah, well, I learned that from Wayne a long time ago. He, he goes, you, when, you, uh, when you show me a dumbbell scoring a goal, I'll start lifting them. And then his other great line was, uh, do you think uh, Lance Armstrong plays uh, shinny hockey to train for the Tour de France? And so, because we were always on the bikes and that, and, and I would grab Mike in training camp and I'd go, Mike, come here. And he'd, he'd come down to the end of the weight room and there was a plaque for the most fit uh, player in training camp. And I'd look up there and I'd go, who the hell are they? <laughs> so I go, you know, you, you, you're either a hockey player or you're not. So in Dallas, you loved Ken Hitchcock personally, but sometimes you disagreed on styles. Well, it was, it, it was tough. That was right when the game started to change, Frank. And it was, you know, I was a, I was a wide open. I want to score goals, play offense, be creative. Uh, and then all of a sudden the game has changed and it's like, stay out of the middle of the ice, chip it off the boards, go get it. And it was just, that is not the way. And even today, I don't think that's the way the game should be played. The game is give and go. It's create odd men situations be creative, puck control. I never understood why you work so hard to get the puck back and then they tell you to give it back to them. Uh, so that's just the way it was. But Ken Hitchcock was, was a great man, a great coach. Uh, you know, he, he won me a Stanley Cup. So uh, I don't have any problems. It was just a, the game had gone 180 from the way I'd been playing my whole career to now we've got this kind of New Jersey Devils, real conservative you know, don't play to, to lose attitude. And I, it took me a while to, to get through that. Scotty Bowman won you another cup and Scotty Bowman didn't talk to players, but he talked to you. Yeah. And a lot of the Detroit Red Wing players were like, what are you doing talking to him? Yeah, it's weird. I, you know, right from the start, I'd go and uh, I'd skate around the ice with him. And then we'd, uh, I'd grab a coffee before practice and we'd chat and I'd come in the room and, you know, the, the whole dressing would be looking at me like I had three heads and I go, what, what is wrong with you guys? And they go, he hasn't talked to anyone since he's been here, except for maybe Mike Vernon, the goalie. And uh, I go, well, I don't know, maybe it's the relationship he had with my dad back in the day with Chicago and Montreal, or, uh, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, smarter than all you guys and, and I can have a conversation with him uh, because he was just, he's just a super nice guy. And he just loved talking hockey, and so did I. Speaking of your dad, I don't think I've ever asked you about him, but I've heard you talk about it wasn't a classic family atmosphere, but you had your perks being Bobby Hull's son. Oh, yeah. I got to go places, do things, uh, you know, used to skate with the, the players on the weekends. And, uh, you know, when my dad was uh, after games, me and my brothers would put the skates on and and we'd go skate after the games uh, until he was ready to go. And we'd, we'd go and we'd drive home and, uh, you know, got to meet people. And uh, I mean, it was really, it was really special. Yeah, there, there was uh, some tough times at home, but, uh, you know, that's, that happens a lot in a lot of families. Did you ever have a conversation with him about who was the better player? 
No, there's no need. He was the better player. He, uh, what? well, he changed the game. He was the first, uh, power forward. Uh, you know, he, he took uh, a league and put it on his shoulders, uh, the WHA, uh, to the point where the NHL finally uh, merged with six of the teams. So uh, you got to be pretty special to do that. And, and when you got a nickname like the Golden Jets, uh, you're pretty good. And, and if you think about it, when he left the NHL, he already had 604 goals uh, and he was only 30 years old. So uh, I'm not sure he'd be right up there with Wayne Gretzky uh, uh, at, at number two if, if he kept playing in the NHL. When did he know that you were special? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he did until I played my first NHL game. I, he always says he knew, but uh, that's easy to say after the fact. But because I was such a little, uh, little porker, lazy porker that uh, I don't see how anyone could have ever looked at me and said, oh, he's going to be an NHL star. All right, before we let you go, we're going to hit you with some no hedging questions. Here we go. Okay. No hockey in this world. What would you have done with your life? I was, uh, I took psych in college and I was going to uh, create uh, jingles and commercials. Very nice. One teammate protecting your family. Who do you choose? Uh, well, I got to take Chase and Twist. One, one would do it legally. The other would do it illegally. So whatever I needed done. <laughs> <laughs> 741 goals. Who was the toughest goalie to score against? Anyone that was playing behind Chris Chelios. Chris Chelios was the toughest defenseman I ever played against. How much of the shot was natural and how much of it was hard work? I think uh, it started out as natural and then a lot of hard work. And it, it was more of a mental exercise to learn where to shoot from where I was on the ice. So it became second nature, but it all started genetically. Excluding you, best shot you ever saw in hockey? Well, I, if you can't say Alex Ovechkin, I don't know. I mean, it's scary how good it is. Most famous person you golf with? Uh, well, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, uh, how did you, against you know Jordan what? Jordan? How about President Bush? Wow. Yeah. How did you do against uh, Michael Jordan? You beat him, right? Um, well, no, because he he got to my choking point with the bets. Wait, a minute, I don't he, understand. That's, that's what he says when you he starts on the first tee, and it's like, okay, what are we going to play for? And he goes, whatever makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, best score ever on a regulation 72? Uh, 66. Pre-game ritual for you in terms of superstitions in the NHL? Uh, stretching, doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. Um, I saw you sign thousands of autographs, but you got tired of it at one point because... Well, because people, the card business got so lucrative that, you know, they were selling every autograph and that's not really why I was signing autographs. And, uh, you know, I, I asked them if I should give them W4s every time I signed <laughs> one.
true or false, did you ever get nervous before a game? Uh, well, actually, yes. And then actually nerves on the ice in like the Stanley Cup finals and playoffs and game sevens. You're nervous. And, and then all of a sudden the puck drops and you don't have time to be nervous anymore. You just have to trust yourself. But yeah, there's definitely nerves. A little bit longer answer. Um, I know you had, you've won, won the cup in Dallas. You've won the cup in um, Detroit. But I'm wondering, where does the 2019 Stanley Cup rank for you in terms of thrills in your lifetime? Oh, I mean, to win them as it personally, I mean, they're hard to beat. But to have that Stanley Cup raised in St. Louis uh, after the years and years of dedication by the St. Louis sports fans and hockey fans, uh, I'm not sure, you know, they, they got used to the Cardinals winning, uh, but the loyalty to the St. Louis Blues and to have them uh, finally achieve the Holy Grail, I think it's the greatest, uh, the greatest thing that's ever happened. One guy you celebrated with that Saturday, Bob Pleger, we lost him. What did Bob mean to you in your life? Well, Bob was just, you know, he taught me what it was like to be a St. Louis Blue and, and what it was like to be uh, a St. Louis Blue in, in the city of St. Louis and, and how to treat the people, how to treat the fans, um, you know, to always, you know, he just, everything he did was about the Blues and the city of St. Louis and, uh, there'll never be another one like Bobby, and, and we miss him uh, so greatly. Your lovely bride is also your hairstylist. How would you uh, characterize this look? Well, this is definitely the COVID look, but uh, and uh, you're going to have to look this up. So I, I got this COVID uh, haircut because it's simple, and every Sunday my wife sits me down and takes the clippers to it and, and tightens it up. Well, a few days ago, I got a text message from my buddy, Joe Buck, and he has copied the Brad Hall COVID haircut. You have, <laughs> you have to see it. His golf tournament's coming up at Old Warson here in a week or two. You have to go, and he will have the Brad Hall haircut. It's catching. It's catching on. Finally, Ted Williams once said his only goal in life is that when he walks down the street, he wants somebody to say, there goes the greatest hitter who ever lived. What's Brett Hall's goal? I don't have one. I just want people to say there goes a guy that, uh, you know, he's nice to people. He treated people well. He did a lot of good things for people in need. And uh, uh, I, I just, you know, just to go, hey, there's Brett Hall. That will do it for this week on the Sports Plus podcast. Be sure to download and subscribe as well as rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week, everybody.